Welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. I'm so lucky today to have this amazing woman on today, Ariel Fernandez. Ariel Fernandez is self-employed. She works for Bullish Vision. She teaches technical analysis skills in the, in the trading and financial markets. She has her um, Bachelor's of Science from the University of Pittsburgh in Exercise Science. And she's got a master's degree from USC, that amazing school, um, in health administration. And <laughs> the other part of this is that she is an absolutely amazing athlete. And she's played soccer for over 20 years, and she played on the national team, uh, the Caribbean national team. And we'll get into that, too. Thank you so much for being here today, Ariel. Of course. Thank you so much, Martine, for having me. I mean, I've heard so much about your podcast, and I was actually really honored to have the invitation to be here. So I know it's been so long. I've known you for a couple of years now. And I'm like, every time I turn around, you're doing amazing things. And you left us for a short while and then you're back in LA. So I'm happy you're back. I in, did. In I did. And we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that you know, and why. And I'm a, I'm a Cali girl at heart. So born and raised, I don't plan on moving anytime soon. I did try, you know, and that, that just didn't work out. So I'll, I'll be around the area. So we got to catch up more for sure. Um, so, I'm going to start out by asking you where you were born and raised. Yeah. Um, so, well, I kind of gave that away, right? Um, I was I was born in uh, L.A., uh, raised in Long Beach, about 30 minutes away. So complete SoCal girl. Um, I uh, grew up single. Um, don't have any siblings. Well, I do have a half sister, but I didn't grow up with her. She is 13 and she lives on the East Coast. So really, it was just kind of growing up with me, my mom and my dad, unfortunately, Um they had a divorce when I was uh, five or six years old. So growing up as a single child was um, very, you know, it was, I, I began to uh, be very comfortable with myself. And I think that's kind of morphed into the the being that I am today um, in, in a good way. Uh, but yeah, so I think I answered your question. So, so let me ask you, what was your relationship like with your mom and dad growing up and how did they influence you or, or, or didn't, or can you just kind of give me the dynamics? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so <laughs> I always say that I, I grew up to, I, I was a daddy's girl and I still am. Um, I I had, I feel like an equal uh, love, I guess you would say, coming from both sides of the spectrum. I mean, I wasn't one or the other. Um, I, I noticed that, you know, when I'm older and I look back, you know, my dad tended to be kind of the the, the nurturer. Uh, I don't want to say the, the mother, but, you know, if, if I, you know, talk back to my mom, which we a couple of times that he was always the one that I would run to for uh for protection. Uh, my mom, she was more of a cutthroat, you know, straightforward. Uh, all I had to see was the look that she would give me, and I would know to just stop what I'm doing and make sure that I behave. Um, so a, a very, I guess, just a whole overall loving uh, family. But I unfortunately never had the traditional American dream family where you know it's. The three of us and we go out to dinner all the time um it was either one or the other so it's kind of like a one week on one week off for a good five or six years of my life and then i had um i think a uh, middle school uh my dad went away for two years for work and i was flying back and forth out of state to washington to see him but we still maintained our relationship and even to this day um you know uh, playing soccer growing up uh they were by my side all the time and i'm very thankful for both of them um my, my dad, I can't even remember how many times they were able to drive me anywhere or fly with me, you know, because I was traveling all the time um, since I was age 11, um, 
just inter, uh, nationally, not international until the age of 17, but definitely state by state playing soccer. So um, I am very thankful for what they've shared with me and just the relationships that we've developed over the time. So they're, they're literally my best friends. So. so what kind of stuff did you like growing up? I mean, when you think about your childhood, like what do you think really helped develop you? You kind of touched on a little bit, but like what made you, you're such a strong and um, very powerful, strong, intelligent woman. I mean, what gave you this confidence? Have you always been this way or no? You know, it's funny how you ask. Um, no, I haven't been this way um, naturally, but I think a lot of the extracurricular activities my, my family have put me through, for instance, yes, soccer. Um, I was a musician. Um, I played clarinet, um, saxophone, uh, bass clarinet uh, for about five or six years total, six or seven years. Um, and being able to travel um, internationally using soccer or using um, music as a, a, an avenue. And so I think, you know, by the age of mm, 18, I had been to like 15 different countries by the age of 21, 22, I hit like 25 countries. So that I feel like I would, I would try to give anybody the advice that, you know, even if they don't like traveling, traveling opened me up to not only seeing and being exposed to other cultures, but, and, and, and to kind of um, gain multiple perspectives on not just your own, um, which can help in anything. It can help on your day-to-day, -day, your interaction with other people. It can help with your relationships, your family, or your significant other. Um, and just being able to handle yourself in different situations professionally and in a casual atmosphere. Um, just getting that, the traveling um, aspect, I would say I, I, I am most grateful for. It's probably what um, helped with that. And what were your grades like growing up? Were you a pretty good student? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, I, um, I was a, a perfectionist, I would say, like, I was one where I was a complete nerd, I'm, I'm gonna put that out there. Um, all I really had growing up was my grades in school, soccer, and music, and I would be the one to stay up at one or 2am until the, the job got done. And uh, just do it all over again the next day. I, and it's not even that I needed uh, the structure for my parents that just was me. Like I'm a very structured person. So, you know, if you tell me, you know, this is due at this date, like, you know, I, I just, I have a checklist. I, I live and breathe off of a checklist and that just is who I am. So, um, yeah, my grades are pretty good. I mean, like 4.0, sometimes 3.8, but like, Yes, I, I know you're OCD because I think yeah. I've, 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 done, I've done 41 podcasts and I think you're the one of the only ones that sent me a detailed outline. Oh, I was like, I've never had such a detailed outline for this, but I'm not going to go totally by this outline, but okay. No, totally fine. <laughs> not, it was not meant for you, for us to go through the outline. I just, you know. No, I totally get it. And so let me ask you, when you were overseas, like, um, can you tell me what countries you've been to? And when you were abroad, was there any countries that were you were like, uh oh, this is kind of scary, or you know what, um, um, maybe I shouldn't have came? Or do you well, have any precarious situations when you were abroad? Not scary. Um, I saw my first like, like dead body in the middle of the road in the Dominican Republic, and like literally, like we were trying to get to our game, and we had a police escort, and. Um, we were like plowing through traffic and there, there the traffic was there because there was like 
literally somebody just had gotten run over and the, the police weren't even there and all the people were doing, they were just literally just going around them like nothing, like it wasn't anything. So that kind of like freaked me out and I was like, oh, and, uh, but I think that was the most crazy thing that has ever happened. I mean, Peru, um, I would say that actually wasn't for soccer. That was for a mission trip um, on the healthcare level. Um, in college, I had gone for a couple of weeks and uh, at that at the time, I was a little bit more fluent with Spanish, and so I actually can like have a whole entire conversation. I don't use it anymore, so it's kind of like a you don't use it, uh, you lose it. Um, but we were able to help um, other physicians um, set up mobile clinics around uh, the impoverished communities in the areas, and uh, we were you know navigating and and helping the the locals um, you know communicate, go to which tent, dentistry, general, um, OBGYN, um, and and so forth and just kind of shadowing, but also helping them um, with that. So, but seeing the impoverished communities and the fact that there were communities literally in the slums, like they would live in shacks. And the the last like few days, we actually spent some time building a, a, con a concrete, pouring concrete um, and building a stairwell, stairway, uh, so that they can get at least from their houses all the way down the mountain to the local, you know, town area because there all there was was dirt in the mountain um and sad to say i think i had broken my wrist right before that so i was pouring concrete with a broken wrist that was that was fun <laughs> so so you started playing soccer when you were 11 did you have any did you have any heroes at 11 years old and um what made you continue to stay with soccer and then you ended up playing in college correct yes i did i so. did so can you um, give me a little bit about this journey, the soccer journey? Yeah. Um, so for the soccer journey, it really, uh, it was a, it was a blessing really. I, I'm very athletic as is. Um, but I think because soccer ended up being the first sport that I was kind of thrown into at the age of uh, five. Um, and I, I kind of just stuck with it. I was good at it. Um, and so, you know, I'm one where when I commit to something, like I love to like finish and see it through the end. So it's, it's not like, I was good at it and I was like, okay, I quit and I'm gonna move on to another sport. No, I was like thriving, I was seeing myself do well and uh, I just like the sense of commitment. So really, you know, when I stuck with that, it led through, you know, middle school, that's when I started the travel team. And then when I got to high school, um, it's interesting when you get into women's uh, soccer, I'm not sure if um, you know, but compared to like football or compared to basketball, um, most of the recruiting when it comes to for, for college, it comes through the high schools. But for soccer, it's really not the case. You usually most of the college um, coaches, they come to like your travel games you're on your travel team. Um, so for high school, it really didn't matter. Um, so I played two years of varsity my freshman year, my sophomore year in high school. And then it became too much doing both. And so I quit high school and I just did the I kept doing the travel um, ball and uh, I think by age 12, I had won one national, uh, the national title with my team uh, in Hawaii. That was fun. And then and uh, when I was 14, um, we uh, we got second. We, we were supposed to go to Sweden and we lost. It was really sad. But <laughs> 16, U16 and U17, uh, we were able to hold um, two other national titles. So it was nice to... Um, yeah, I take it for granted. And actually, it's funny. I had a conversation with somebody about a week ago, and uh, and she's also another athlete. And we were just like, wow, like, 
you know, growing up and, you know, we, we were privileged in the sense of we came from really good, you know, teams um, out of you know, SoCal area and we're so used to winning and so used to doing well um, that there are a lot of athletes out there that don't even get a chance to even compete at that level. So just being able to reflect and be grateful and thankful um, of those you know, experiences is, is great. So, and fast forward, got to college at Pittsburgh, played my four years um, over there. And by year two though, that's when I was introduced and invited onto the national team um, for FIFA and CONCACAF in the, in the Caribbean um, to play for St. Kitts and Nevis uh, national team. And so I was going back and forth um, on the off season for college, of course, and playing for the World Cup qualifiers, the Olympic qualifiers. Um, so luckily I didn't have to report, you know, maybe once every couple of years, um, but luckily I was staying in shape and training with the college team. So by the time when they needed me and they, you know, requested me to come, I would be, you know, ready. And so, so how, yeah. how did, how did you get, well, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you back a little bit, but real quick question on this one. Yeah. How, yeah. How did you get recruited to the national team? Did you have to apply or they heard about you or like, how does that, how did that work? Yeah. So good question. Um, so actually I have a friend, um, his name is Atiba Harris and he is a professional soccer player. Actually, I think he just retired like last year, um, started a family. But at the time um, when I was mm, like 14, 15 years old, um, that's when I had met him. He played for Chivas USA before they, I think they, before they went back to Mexico. I'm not sure if they're still in the States, but they were right here at the StubHub um, in, in, in Carson. Um, and so I would see him play and I would be the little ball girl and I would just be so happy just to be able to go run and get the ball for these professional athletes. And uh, that's how I met Atiba and uh, through my uncle who I got me the hookup to go to these games and be the ball girl. And um, he was Ketishan. He's from St. Kitts and Nevis. And uh, I had got of age right when I got to college he, you know, the, the island itself literally has like a population of 60,000 people. It's really small, uh, very quaint. And so there's not many St. Kitt, people from St. Kitts or Nevis to even go. Um, so he reached out to my dad and I mean, he's like, hey, like, you know, you need to start coming, like, you know, flying down and, and playing. They need you like, you know, the, the structure and the the maturity on the team at the time, it wasn't there. And, you know, half the team lives on the island. They don't have the resources, the money, you know, half their fields are dirt. Um, you know, they, they, it's, it's a different, it's a third world country. So, you know, when they can find uh, people from the States, which I think they found ended up like three Canadians, you know, four uh, from the U.S., one from Sweden. And we have that structure and we have that, um, I guess just that talent, I guess, from being in such a, a high, uh, mm. highly competitive league um, and you bring that to the islands, then they trust that you can give something that they don't have. So there was no tryout. Um, they saw film on me. I mean, they watched me play in college. So, I mean, that's all that, what they really needed. Um, when I got there, of course, I ended up leading and, and you know, not not because I went in there just being a you know, uh, dictator, but just because of my experience. So, um, I, and I stuck with it. And once I started, I knew I couldn't stop, you know, it's like, I knew. So, that, so let me ask you this in high school. Um, were you a star soccer player in high school? 
and yes. and soccer traditionally hasn't been I, I, it's it's not the most uh multiracial <laughs> it's not so integrated i guess that, yes that I, is. I, 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 that's a nice way i guess for, for me to put that especially when you go to the, the, the when you play in the midwest i would say probably on the coast you're probably going to have it's going to be more multi-ethnic um what was that like for you and going to uh university of pittsburgh and were you just recruited by them and was it a full scholarship um okay so first part of your question um i grew up in a very uh mostly predominantly white community um and that became my norm and that was what i was used to so on all of my most of my soccer teams yes I typically was the only black on the team. Um, I think when I got to 15 years old, 16 years old, that team, we got one other African-American um, person. And as far as Latinos, them, there were only two. And that was when I was older at age 16 and 17 as well. But growing up all as a kid, all the way up to that point, it was predominantly white. So, but I was okay with that. You know, it didn't really make me uncomfortable. Um, it, it really, it, I look back at it and yeah, I mean, some, some refs kind of picked on me a little bit more, you know, I don't know if that was because specifically only race. Um, that was maybe also because as a kid, I was, I was very strong. I was very, you know, I was a little chubby, but I was like the fast and, you know, I was misdeceiving. I was really fast as a sprinter, but like I was a truck, like I could just like literally run you over. It's bad to say, but so a lot of fouls would be called on me. Um, so, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's racist. You know, some people would like shout that out. I'm like, no, it's, it's not like I get it. But that the, the, the pressure or the, the scope was always on me uh, a little bit more. And I, I even want to go a little bit into, in college, um, actually, I, I won't say his name just because, um, you know, I don't, I want, I don't want to put that out there, but the head, co my head coach at University of Pittsburgh at the time, in my first year there, it was his first year as a head coach. And um, so he kind of, our team was kind of his guinea pig and they were taking a chance on him and he was a terrible coach. And by year uh, five, um, I wasn't playing, but I was still there on campus and supporting the team. And they finally fired him, let him go. And there was a huge board meeting. My uncle, he's like a higher up on the board of like, you know, soccer and everything. And said that he was there and he said that he was accused of being racist and not being fair to, you know, people of color, whether they're Latino, whether they're black. And it definitely showed while I was there. Um, I actually had got benched for a whole year after starting for a whole year um, after I chose to serve on the national team. So that kind of was my payback for, but then he had, we had three other Canadian national players that they went to go play for their country and they came back and they, you know, still, still held their position. So, you know, that's kind of questionable. You know, I don't want to like deem him, you know, evil or, you know, you know. Is it, um, so was it a full ride area uh, or, it was, or, or was it, was it like partial. a partial? Okay. I was going to say, cause I know a lot of soccer scholarships are not, they have very few full rides. Usually they're par partials. Um, yeah. But the question, uh, the other, I guess the other part of the question was, did, did other, what made you choose University of Pittsburgh? Did you have other choices as well? I did until I blew out my knee during recruitment season. And um, I was looking at UCLA. I was looking at USC. And at the time, I, I didn't think that I was going to go away. I wanted to stay close. 
So I was only looking at really Pac-12 teams. Um, and then uh, I had recovered right to the point where I was still on time, but I was like towards the last ladder of that year's recruitment season. And I had gotten like three, like three offers. It was uh, University of Pittsburgh, the small um, private school in Texas, uh, Lamar University, and then University of Washington. Um, Pittsburgh was kind of the middleman of things because I wanted a big school. I wanted the football team, whole camaraderie type deal. Lamar was a little bit too small for me and University of Washington, they're like, well, you're kind of a late recruit. You can walk on the first year, but we'll give you a scholarship the second year. So that's not always absolute. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, athletes get taken advantage of and just, you know, they tell you something to get you in and then they promise you something and then they don't give it to you. So. I chose Pittsburgh, which was great. I mean, it was a great academically. It was a great school and I had a great experience. I had no regrets whatsoever. And, and I wanted to ask you that. How did you balance? And I know you've probably pondered this. How, how did you balance when you were playing and you had a difficult major um, exercise, exercise science? I think I don't know if a lot of people know it. it's a lot of science, um, a lot of memorization. So, yeah. Um, it's a pretty difficult major. How did you balance uh, like playing a full-time athlete? Yeah, and then, and then balance the school, and and then balance playing for the national team as well. I mean, you had a lot of stuff going on there, and then yeah. also and also work and during that time period, working on the rehab, um, during, you know, because your 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 injury. How right. did you balance all that? And was there ever a point where you're like? I don't know if I can do this or this is becoming too much for me. And then, and then, and then you were also balancing a relationship as well. So right. how, how did you process all this? <laughs> oh, bit by bit. Um, so I, I don't think I ever reached the burnout type phase um, in college. I did, did reach it uh, once in, in high school. So before my recruitment there, and I remember having a whole, argument and saying, you know, I don't know, I, with my parents, I'm like, ah, I'm going to quit. Da, da, da. But that was because of the pressure of the recruiting. And that, that was during the time of blowing out my knee and kind of losing the, the, the support from even my coach at the time. Um, and so I, like I said, I'm a very driven person. Um, I, you know, I will have my hard times, but you know, I, I do everything with a purpose. And usually it's from internally, it's like, you know, I, I've never have been been told, you know, to do something and then I do it just because you say it. No, it's like I do it because I know that moral, morally or, you know, it's right or, you know, I, I just want to commit to it. So I got back on track when I got to college. That's when I experienced my first relationship, um, actually second semester of uh, freshman year. Um, so that was completely new to me, completely new territory. Um, but I think it helped the fact that both him and I, we were student athletes. So when you're a student athlete in college, like, yes, it is a job, um, but they structure it so strictly in a way where, you know, it does morph into your, you know, your typical, your, your normal, you know, life as far as, okay, got to get up at five, you know, have a lift at six o'clock, practice from seven to nine, first class at nine 30, you know, a second class at you know, one o'clock after you get lunch, you know, maybe a night class six to nine, and then you, you might have two long days, two days a week, and the other two two days are like maybe half of that. Um, but, you know, with exercise science, I actually um, I actually started out as a bio major. Um, so the bio major was actually a little bit too much 
the fact of they, it, it's sad because I remember being told they're like, well, if you're a bio major or if you're in nursing or if you're an engineer, um, you better think twice of doing that major just because, you know, you're a student athlete and not because they did, thought that we couldn't do it as a student athlete, but literally because that was how demanding the schedule was. And um, for off season, um, you know, sometimes uh, with practice schedule and classes, um, it, it would clash. So then we did have some engineers or we either uh, drop the team or they changed their major. Um, and that goes along with pre-med and, and, and nursing students, which at the time I was exercise science, I was pre-med um, even when I was pursuing bio. So I made that change to exercise science because it still gave me the health uh, perspective of what I wanted. But as far as scheduling, it made it a little bit easier for me to, to handle those only day classes in the middle of the day. Um, and then we had like morning or night classes. So it, it, the structure, um, I felt like helped us because we, we had little, little room to, uh, veer left, you know, or we had dry season. We couldn't drink during, you know, eight months out of the year. So that wasn't an issue. And I wasn't a big drinker anyways. Um, even though I know, yeah, I should, I should say that here since, you know, college, I guess you're, you're under 21 and undergrad and then we're all drink. What anyways, um, but, and then for the relationship part, he was a student athlete as well. He was uh, football. So that's of course very demanding as a D1 athlete as well. And uh, so we, 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 we were able to use at least the responsibilities of sports in order to not, you know, get too intertwined, you know, together. We would have our own space. Um, but then there would come to a time where then it'd be full blown. Like, okay, we're both have off season at the same time. We're living together, too close for comfort, arguing sometimes. But I mean, for the most part, the 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 relationship was actually okay for the year and a half, two years of the duration. Um, <laughs> where the mishap happened, which is later down the line when we weren't even a thing, um, that kind of changed my life. Um, that was when we were just friends. So that kind of hit me left field. Um, but. We don't have to get into that quite yet if you don't want to. I, I know you want to. No, uh, no, but I mean, no, we can if you want. I mean, it's, I know that changed your life. And um, was I guess, was that after you had graduated uh, from Yeah, college? Yeah, um, it was a year after. So uh, I, I took a fifth year uh, because I was uh, still pursuing a pre-med. I was studying for the MCAT and such. Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't playing soccer my fifth year. The sixth year, I ended up staying in Pittsburgh and I was working um, and I was taking like that gap year, uh, either going to uh, apply for medical school or I was applying to the health administration masters and MBAs at the same time as well. Um, and so uh, this is when you have to value mental health. You have to um, take yourself out of a situation and your personal emotional you know, being when it comes to understanding the full picture. And uh, fortunately, I was able to get out of that, you know, and understand it afterwards, even though I had a lot of emotion during the time. So long story short, uh, my ex at the time, which we were actually really good friends, I was still good friends with him, his girlfriend, his family, um, he had went away for a year, finished his degree elsewhere, actually, because he had been caught doing some illegal substance use uh for for football and uh he came back kind of a little bit toxic conversations 
trying me trying to kind of keep myself distanced, but still be somewhat of a supportive being around. So, you know, but there's only so much that someone can take when uh, you're allowing that negativity, that, you know, conversation, even though you want to put the, sec- the other person first and you want to help them, you want to be for be there for them. Um, you have to take a step back sometimes and look, you know, what's best for you and your aura. And so um, long story short, he actually mentally snapped and he came over to my house and uh, he stole from me and he beat me up, strangled me. And to the point where, you know, ambulance came, police came later, my face really wasn't that recognizable. I'd lost a lot, a lot of blood everywhere, but uh, I was okay. I, I didn't go to the hospital because I think I was, I was too in shock. You know, I can laugh about it now. I'm, I'm okay, but I, I was too in shock. The adrenaline was going. Um, so I just, you know, wanted to be the tough, tough guy. Um, and ended up taking, walking myself into the ER the next day. Cause I barely could walk the next day and you know, every, all, all the pain hits you afterwards. So I think, I, I think, I think also, I think also Ariel for me, you know, and you're just a really kind person. And I think you always give everyone the benefit of the doubt. And I think, that that you wanted to, to be supportive and i think a lot of times we think that we're being supportive of somebody if we don't um necessarily take an, a second step of action but i i mean i'm just gonna go ahead and say that you're just a wonderful person i think that um you know i know i know that i know you went through a lot with that and so you ended up taking yourself and how long did it take for you to recover mentally like mentally and physically and then at the same time you're in school i mean could you did you have to stop school i mean yeah so so like so that was during my gap year so thank gosh you know i i wasn't i was just working um i wasn't in school and actually that was the same month that i was actually supposed to hear back from the schools that i had applied to um the the health administration masters and mba and i only applied to Pitt, where i was at i applied to university of washington and i applied at home uh, at usc in California. And um, it, it, I didn't have to like ch- change everything right then and there. Um, I, I did go to physical therapy, um, which I should have, I should have went to the chiropractor a little bit more. I had like a broken rib and, and uh, you know, a couple bruises everywhere, but I actually didn't correct that later. So my body ended up like like fixing itself in the wrong positioning. So then I had to like see a chiropractor for a whole year later after um, on the physical standpoint. But I feel like the mental standpoint was the biggest um, starting with on the, my, my parents had come of course to support me through all of this. They stayed with me for two or three weeks, especially when there was a warrant out for his arrest. And when the, the, he wasn't arrested, you know, that was the most, you know, kind of fearful time because he was just kind of out on the loose. My roommate and I had to kind of, get the hell out of Dodge and get a hotel for four or five days and not tell anyone she was still in school. So I really felt bad for her, but she, she was, she was okay. Like if she was able to get to class and, and her, her, or call out a class because of a emergency. Um, and so my parents came, they ended up basically saying, you know, we, I know you're supposed to find out where you're going to school in a couple of weeks, you know, or whatever, but and I know that Pittsburgh is a really good option, but you're not staying here. We're packing up your entire apartment and we're moving you all the way across the country back to California. And I was like, I was so devastated. Like I, I was, I was mad. I was all the above. I, I was angry. The fact that they were literally like 
uprooting the life that I had put so much work into setting myself up, you know, as far as networking, all my internships there, you know, I had a good, you know, healthcare job there that I was going to lead into my first, you know, full-time um, corporate job. And, uh, and, and then at the same time, I was applying to the dual master's program at Pitt, the MBA attached with the MHA health administration. Um, and the road trip back, the first day we got on the road, my dad and I, we literally crossed the border into the next state. And then Pittsburgh calls me and says, hey, you know, congratulations, you got in and we'd like to give you a full ride for an MBA and a full uh, a half of a scholarship for the MHA part. And, and, and I had to say no. And I, I remember just bursting into tears. It was, and my dad's like, well, and he was trying to think the best for me, of course, my safety, but he was like, I can, I can turn back around right now if you really want this. And, but I knew that he didn't want me to do that. And frankly, I, like I said, there's one situation where I literally had to take myself out of my shoes and look at it and be like, well, this isn't safe for me. It's not fair to my family. And I have another chance if I pick something else, you know, hopefully I get into USC, hopefully I get into, you know, University of Washington. So it took us a week to drive back. The second day I got back, I got into USC. And the third day back, I got into University of Washington. So I was very blessed that I had those options um, when I got back. What do you think that that experience, it, it, I mean, how did that interrupt your soccer life, for one? Yeah. Uh, and, then, and, and then the second part of that is, what did you learn from that experience? And are you, st- are you still kind of dealing with those emotions from then? And how kind of, how kind of have you worked through these, these emotions? And feelings? Yeah. So uh, for soccer, um, how it affected it, it really didn't, considering I was done playing for the college team. So as far as being, you know, uh, uh, playing 12 months out of the year, I didn't have to do that. I was only training maybe two or three months only for the national team. So um, it happened to be not during that time where I needed to report and go play. Um, it did interrupt uh, a couple of court dates when I had they, I ended up, I ended up dimming down, you know, two felonies that he had committed against me to misdemeanors because I was playing in the Olympic trials overseas and I couldn't make it to court. But besides then, you know, besides that, physically speaking, that's the only, you know, thing that it, it had affected me. Now on the, the, the mental side though, um, I did do a year of like traditional go to, go to psych, you know, sessions, sit down with the psychologist and, um, at first, I didn't believe in it, you know, me trying to have my shield, have my you know tough guy, you know, cloak on or whatnot. And um, I really think that the, the most that I've learned from it, though, was through my own, like, not even in the sessions. It was like me. I mean, yeah, he was able to get me to start thinking and my wheels spinning on what I do need to self-reflect on and what I do need to to work on. And uh, it it, it took me about two and a half, three years. I mean, it's hitting almost three and a half years now. So completely like okay with it, uh, mentally speaking, and being able to talk about this like I am right now and not breaking down completely. Um, it took me about three years. And what I learned from it, though, the most is that first off, you know, just as far as relationships and just people, um, I'm I tend to be a giver 
uh, and that's with everything that I do. And it's, it's, it's genuine. If I get something out of it, it's definitely not expected. I'm appreciative, but I just do it because I know that it needs to be done and it betters the other individual that I'm doing it for. Um, but I've had to balance that and draw a line and not be, you know, completely either take advantage of, uh, you know, that goes on the professional side too. You know, like, it's like, I know my worth and I know what I can do. And so, you know, I'll, I'll do it for you, but I have to put limits on it because I can't wear myself out or I can't, you know, um, you know, be unfair to myself. Uh, and, and that also even ties into future relationships that I, that I hope to, to gain as far as friends, family, significant others. Um, it's been, I mean, not getting too personal about it, but ever since then, you know, I really haven't dated um, until now. And that was a whole phobia that I had to get, I had to get uh, a phobia of a black male of being a, in a negatory, you know, way. I had to kind of fix that. I had a, a, a negative response to guns because a gun was involved in the situation. So any, any image of a gun, any action movies, and I love action movies, but any like gun sounds, that was a trigger. I would just start crying in the middle of what, or, or getting anxiety or whatever. Um, all of that, that took three years of total to, to, to be okay with that and be able to, I guess, balance it. And um, it's it's been tough, but like, I'm proud to say that I think I've reached the threshold of being able to open up, you know, to, to some, you know, individuals or show my true self, not be too guarded um, and just kind of have a good balance. That's all I, I would say. That's that's the biggest thing. You can't give your all on everything, but just look after yourself because you got to put yourself first. And that's what I wasn't doing um, until now. And what, what kind of advice would you give other people, whether it's males or females that are victims of domestic violence? You know, if you were to look back in time and, and give yourself advice, what would that be? Um, uh, first, you know, if, if it's during it, during the situation of where you are enduring this terrible behavior from somebody, um, at least have one person in your corner that you can open up and talk to. Cause typically speak, sometimes, you know, you feel like, oh, either you're embarrassed or you shouldn't say anything. And then no one knows. And when things do go left, no one knows why or how to help you because, you know, just no one knows. So always have an, a, a person, I would say. And dealing with it afterwards, um, you know, I, I, I'm not saying, I, I'm not recommending like the traditional way of the, you know, going to a psychologist. You know, sometimes people cope or uh, uh, heal in different ways. Um, but I would say, find your way in order to find a peace within. So if that's meditating, you know, I, I ride motorcycles. So like I would just take a cruise, you know, down the beach by myself and just kind of self-reflect what, and not blame yourself. That's the biggest thing. Don't, um, don't automatically, Oh, I should have did this. I should have did that. It's not really what only of what you didn't do. Cause it takes two to dance. I'm sure you weren't the, the only, you know, playing peace in the situation, but just taking the time to being able to build that, um, that skill of not blaming something or someone taking yourself out of the situation and just seeing it for what it is. 
and moving on, you know, forgive and move on. Don't hold on to grudges because it literally can eat you alive and it, you won't get anywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, one of the things I was thinking about when you were relating this story was, I think growing up, a lot of us feel like um, domestic violence is an issue that maybe just a certain classes of people have to deal with. Yeah. But, but when you talk to people, you realize that people are, are victims of domestic violence from all social classes. Yeah. So, yeah. So. And it does not matter. Uh, rich, poor, whatever race, um, it literally can happen at the snap of the fingers. And it literally did. I mean, this man, I mean, it's, it, yeah, he was of African-American, you know, race, but I mean, well-to-do family and he lived in the estates in Pittsburgh. Like he had everything that he wanted. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's literally like, you know, come to find out he, he actually had a mental health disorder. He had, he was, uh, had anxiety and depression. He wasn't taking his meds and no one knew. So it's like, you know, paying attention to those signs and me being a healthcare provider, you know, especially with, you know, in that field, at least, um, I, I care. And I think, I think this is my theory because I have a passion in that. I'm, I was a little bit, uh, it was easier for me to kind of see the whole thing for what it is. I'm like, okay, well, you know, he needs help. You know, I'm so sad that I had to be, um, the punching bag in this situation. Um, but I can totally understand, you know, the situation on why it happened. It, no, no one should ever get beaten up like that. But what I'm saying is just, no, I, I, I you got to totally. detach yourself, you know, detach yeah, yeah. the personal. And, so, and, and sometimes it's hard to do that. I, I think about, you know, one of the professions that has the, the leading cause, uh, one of the professions that has a high suicide rate is the medical profession, doctors <laughs> specifically. And yeah. you would think they're the pre people that uh, are, they're the healers. And I recall seeing a story not even that long ago. He's, one of the number one specialists in a particular field, a heart specialist, and he took his life not that long ago, but um, nobody knew he had this issue going on. And um, but a lot of times we think that we're, like you said, impervious to it because of our education or our status. And we don't realize, you know, we're missing signs as well mm -hmm. um, and not taking care of ourselves as well. So let me ask you this. What, what made you go on? So you went on to USC Went to, and, yeah. and you got your uh, your master's in health administration. Yes. What, what was that like for you? And was it a good experience for you? And I know that you, like you said, you went to Dominican Republic as part of that that process. What was that like for you? And then you can kind of talk about your journey after you finished school and we yeah. can start talking about what you're doing now because you're doing amazing things now as well. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a fun world out there in those those markets. Um, yeah, I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, so I ended up at USC, you know, under, you know, terrible circumstances, but I made it all for what it was. But um, it was a great experience. You know, I had to move and I chose that because of my situation. But when I got home, I had the family support the 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 school itself. I mean, it's such a good um, networking, you know, atmosphere. I, I met a lot of connections that, you know, I could just reach out to now and be like, Hey, you know, can you help me with this? And this is a year or so later where, you know, we're still out and doing our own lives, but, um, you do build a camaraderie there. Um, unfortunately, um, I think it was eight months into the, uh, my master's program COVID hit. So that kind of definitely put a damper on things. Um, 
especially the fact of the second year of my degree requires a residency at a hospital with um, healthcare administration uh, executives. Uh, and so luckily uh, my, my residency was in person. Um, 85% of our residencies were taken away or stalled. Um, so that definitely, you know, taking the in-person, um, you know, experience out of it, you know, I, I wish, you know, I could get that back. Um, but I, you know, I made the best of it. Uh, my first day of my residency actually so happened to be the first day of COVID as a public, um, you know, pandemic. So that was fun, you know, definitely hit the, hit the ground running with that and learned a lot from it. Um, and so afterwards, um, graduated in 21. Uh, and I took a job uh, in St. Louis, and that was fun. Um, I say that sarcastically because it was a great job, um, great responsibility. I was a practice optimization manager. So my responsibility were to oversee about 30 to 40 um, outpatient clinics and uh, be able to not only educate, but uh, identify the opportunities or you know issues uh, physicians and nurses nurse practitioners were having with their practice and basically kind of acting as a, a long-term internal consultant of um, just pointing out what can be improved, how to do it. This is how you do it, um, X, Y, and Z, whether that's improve your workflow, whether that's get your quality metrics up, um, if you're lacking on getting your Medicare patients, um, value-based Medicare patients um, in for your annual wellness visits, you need to lower your 30-day readmission rate for your hospitals to you know, increase your metrics, then overall, what physicians love to hear is that that increases their um, uh, reimbursements at the end of the year due to higher quality marks. So my job was to make sure you get, they get their quality marks up so that everybody's happy, better patient care and more money in the physician and nurse practitioner's pockets. So um, I had to have a lot of meetings with the physicians and nurse and nurse practitioners. That was, that was my job. So um, in St. Louis. And so I lasted there seven months. Um, it was great. And however, at the same time, my hobby is trading in the financial markets. And I've been doing that for about five, almost six years now. And I was part of a trading community to the point where uh, my mentor, actually, uh, I was getting a lot of inquiries from the other students asking for me to teach them or, you know, hey, and so I was, you know, I was doing maybe for, for a month and I ended up spending like 15, 20 hours you know, a week doing one-on-ones with other students that I was with and not getting paid, you know, just giving my time once again. Um, and my mentor uh, calls me before he, we have this conference, he was putting it in Atlanta. And he said, you know, he's like, hey, you know, so I know you're coming, but uh, can you, how, how do you feel about teaching with me? So I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I didn't know like, you know, that I was, I was that good or that I had that much to offer, but yeah, I'll give it a whirl. And I uh, went, had a great time, um, you know, did a little presentation. And uh, from then on, like I had a lot of inquiries before, but students just started reaching out left and right. And um, it was at the same month that actually, yes, mentally speaking, I was kind of getting, um, kind of homesick, you know, I, I was actually, you know, my, some of my coworkers pulled me to the side. They're like, are you okay? Like, you seem a little depressed. You know, I'm like, yeah, well, I don't know anybody here. My family's at home. At the same time, my, my grandmother and my, uh, my uncle, they were going in and out of the hospital. Um, so that wasn't normal. And that was going on for the past three or four months. 
And um, when I had gone back for in December uh, for Christmas, um, my grandmother actually, while I was there, was taken to the hospital, and my uncle had a stroke. And so I'm like, I, I'm the, remember I'm, I grew up as only child, so and I have no really, I don't have no cousins, so um, family means a lot to me. So I I didn't even question it. It was the first time I think that I've ever decided something without a regret, hesitation, second thought. I was like, oh well. I'm going to fly back and put my two week notice in Then I'm going to, you know, fly to Atlanta and then come back, pack my bags and then come back. And that's what I did. And um, I, it kind of was a leap of faith type of deal because like, I got back and that's when I opened up my LLC, Bullish Visions LLC, and started accommodating students on um, teaching them te technical analysis on how to read candlestick charts. Um, so that you know, no one's guessing in the markets because um, the markets have a mind of its own um, and also incorporating fundamentals as well. Um, and so I started with you know, individual students um, and then grew to small groups at a time. And so, yeah, so that's kind of actually now that kind of leads to what I'm doing now. So that is what I'm doing now. Um, that started the, the beginning of this year, January, February. And I'm doing what I love to do. And it's, it's fun. You know, it's, it's, it's scary sometimes, you know, because you're not employed, you know, you're not um, depending on somebody else's check, but at the same time, you know, you're, you're free um, of your own time. Uh, you know, you, you can kind of do, do whatever you can have your own schedule. Um, I can say, you know, I want five students this month, but you know, maybe 10 students next month. Um, so it definitely, and, and even though it's a freer way of living, um, it's, it's, it's way more responsibility and discipline. I feel like, I mean, you walk into a job, you know what you're supposed to do. You do it, you leave, you get paid. Great. You rinse and repeat. But for me, you know, I always have to be innovative now. You know, I mean, that's something I'm getting used to. I have to, um, you know, be creative on things, marketing. I have to, um, you know, to build my own path and, and I, I, I don't have a boundaries. So, you know, me being structured, sometimes that's like kind of freaks me out, but I'm, I'm getting better at that. So I'm, I mean, I'm having fun um, now. Yes, I know that so, markets are not good, so but it's OK. You can still make a profit, you know, short the market and you'll be fine. <laughs> so what makes you um, you're so confident and you're totally switching fields, which I think is amazing. So you're, <laughs> yeah. you're moving from what you want to do that, that health, the health side of it, and you're starting your own, your own business. Mm -hmm. um, do you, what things, what makes you so driven in terms of taking that leap of faith and you're very successful at everything you've do, everything you've done in your life. Um, what do you think you have or that someone can develop to take that leap of faith? Sometimes with the leap of faith, you, it's not even something that you can prepare for. It's literally a conscious, impulsive decision. There might be a little bit of calculation before, but the initial part is just to jump. I say just jump. If you want to do something, just do it. Once you land, then you'll figure out how to go from there, right? It's like, you know, you, you jump into a pool. You don't know what you're doing. Okay, you figure out how, you, how you're going to tread water and how you're going to survive. And when you put yourself into those, I don't want to say life-threatening situations, but, you know, severe or, um, you know, very crucial um, situations, a sense of you starts to, you know, 
figure out how to get shit done, as I would say, excuse my language. But um, you need, I feel like for, at least for me, you need that extra pressure on you in order to finally figure out what your fullest potential and your capabilities are. And that's kind of what I did. Um, like I said, I didn't know that I was capable of doing everything of what I'm doing right now, and nor did I even have a game plan of doing it. And I just had to first make the initial jump and then figure it out from then. And, but the, my, my safety net granted is yes, my master's degree. So uh, you see some entrepreneurs where they might try this and they don't have a safety net. They don't, they might not have an education to back them up and then, you know, their business fails and then they're in a cyclic cycle of trying to get it off the ground and it doesn't happen. And then, you know, they're not successful. But for me, like, you know, I, I always make sure that I have a backup plan. I always make sure I have plan A, B, C, and my out. Um, so that, that, that's kind of how I took it. My education, my two degrees are my, you know, plan A and B, you know, plan C is building a business, my, my safety net, or like if things go south, then I could just circle right back to using my degrees. So, um, which I'm totally fine with, but yeah. And then what was your second question? Totally. Well, no, I didn't know. I, I think you answered it, which is, you know, basically, <laughs> basically how did you get the strength to make this, you know, to make a jump like that? And I think, yeah. that, I think you answered that. And, um, this is my fun part of my podcast. I get to, I enjoy all of it, but this is the funny, the, 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 I, I get a lot of levity and it's, it's a lot of fun to do this. So I get to ask you a couple questions here. All good. Um, okay. Uh, what's your guilty pleasure food wise? Ooh, guilty pleasure ice cream for sure. I'm a sucker for ice cream. What um, kind? Any, any, any particular kind? My favorite is, uh, Besides a gener generic vanilla, I won't be that basic, but uh, butter pecan uh, is my favorite. Um, mint and chip is also a favorite too. Okay. Um, favorite country you visited? Ooh. Or country you want to go to? Um, that I visited? Switzerland. Um, it was beautiful. Uh, I was kind of in like the countryside, but we did stop at Zurich, uh, their capital. Um, and it was in the middle of the summer but when we went to zurich and you know the, the, the mountaintop there still was like snow on the on the, the top of the mountains it was beautiful and then you had the castles and then you had like the just the whole greenery of it and, and some villages that kind of took you back in time that you felt like you were in the 1800s it was like it was beautiful um the country that i would like to go to that i have so many so many um choose one uh i want to go to greece i want to go to greece yeah, yeah, that's, sure. yeah that's one of mine i guess one of mine for as well or uh your favorite movie Ooh, oh that's hard um i'm gonna say this just because my favorite song uh on their soundtrack just came on yesterday for me and it was one of my favorite childhood and probably still now but tarzan um, the Disney, not like the Disney animated one. That that's one. I know there's like the real ones out there or like whatever. Yeah, I like yeah, the Disney ones are good. You can't go yeah. wrong with you cannot go wrong with that. Okay. So um if you could choose one person in history to speak with and meet, who would it be? And then Ooh. who who would you and what would you say to them? Oh <sighs> um I'm going to say Elon Musk 
And why? Uh, because, I mean, this man, I don't know how he does it. And it, it probably because he's one where I cannot figure out because he's very uh, cryptic and I love it. Um, but he's he can manipulate the markets like no other just by a, a simple tweet on Twitter or what he says. Um, what I would say to him or, or ask him, I don't know if I would say anything, you know, I'd reply, you know, but uh, ask him um, what really like what 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 is his or what was his typical routine um when before he became ceo of you know tesla and everything like what i guess what did he do uh, on a day-to-day -day basis in order to gain the the respect and the position that he has now and probably i would spe specify that before he went uh, and worked with paypal because he was working with the uh, PayPal before they got bought out or something like that. So what did he do? And you know, what would he suggest or advice wise on how to get to where he got before PayPal? Okay, this sounds like a crazy one here. How about this? Uh, if you could be one superhero, who would that be? Oh my God, really? Hmm. Uh, so you know oh wait 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 i probably would be, so you know incredibles um you know uh the sister violet uh-huh yeah she can she can she she has like force fields and she can like go invisible so like i would i would do that so that i can go anywhere i want without you know having to be bothered or anything or if i you know force field okay yeah. so here goes the, uh, the last few here we go um what is the one exercise that you hated in soccer more than any other exercise um well fun fact i hated i hate running you know so any 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 conditioning uh you know whole entire workout i just dreaded the whole entire day before we did it um but the specific exercise burpees don't like burpees yeah. i hate burpees and then here's the here is the last one and i have one other one but it's just it's work related but this okay. is one. what do you want to be remembered for when you're no longer in this earth we're all here such a short time and when when someone says ariel fernandez what do you want to be remembered for i would love to be remembered for Make, making a difference in the mass population like uh, of their lives, whether that's healthcare, whether that's on the financial level. Really, I so I, I want to use my skills in the financial markets and accumulating capital and such to put forth to a bigger humanitarian project, healthcare related. So um, once I get that up, then I can become an investor, you know, giving back or um, opening up clinics myself, but uh, fixing some of the the gaps and the disparities that we have as a nation in the U.S. Uh, healthcare. So uh, that can go from homelessness. Um, that can go to um, increasing the awareness of preventative care, increasing the the awareness to mental health. Um, so if I can, you know, put my name on, you know, 
something of that nature, whether that's a, a chain of homeless shelters that are specifically specified for mental health individuals or ER individuals, um, homeless people. I, I, I would love to do that. I would love to just give back, whether that's my corporation or whether that's an investment or an investor position, something along those lines. But um, well, yeah. I have to tell you, thank you so, so much for being here. Um, such an inspiring story. You've been through so much and you're just one of the strongest people I know and and just always smiling and always happy and um you have such good energy and um how would anyone if they want to get a hold of you for your services what's the best way to get a hold of you can they get a hold of you via instagram or linkedin or what's the best way to get a hold of they wanted to use your services yeah um for the people who um first off thank you thank you for having me no my team this is this is fun actually uh yeah i don't usually do this for too many people but of course for you i do anything because we're just amazing. I remember when we met. It was, it was crazy. Weren't we even like, what were we doing? We're, I have no we're, idea. We're, yeah, but I, I, probably, I, I probably run around USC as usual. Yeah, but, but I have. Yeah, to, I think, I think I have, you were the new kid on the block, and I was yes. like trying to include you on everything. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, uh, you can reach me by my Instagram. Um, my first name Ariel um, underscore Sarah S A R A H five six two. Uh, for the people who don't use social media, um, my my email is uh, bullishvisionsllc at gmail.com. So um, you can email me, shoot me a whatever if you're interested in learning how to trade, if you're interested on you know learning a little bit more about my background or whatnot, um, if you need advice or anything that you think that I could help you with, I would love to help you with it. But um, yeah. Thank you so much. And, and thank you so much, everyone, for our listeners for listening to our, our another wonderful guest and i'm so happy to have you here ariel and um join us for our next podcast and the next great guest in the meantime keep learning if you like the podcast give us a thumbs up and until next time thank you very much take care thank you